You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Well, welcome everyone to season three, episode three of the Together in Literacy podcast. I'm here with Casey. Hi, Casey. Hi, Emily. And we are going to dig into a big topic today, uh, language skills and Gordon Gillingham or structured literacy. What is the big deal? What are some things that we think are important to be thinking about when lesson planning and we're going to give you some tips in just a few minutes so we will get into that discussion of language as the vehicle for learning really really soon because we know language plays such an important role in really everything we do in the world around us not just in the academic and the classroom setting although we know that We are here to assist our students chiefly in the academic setting because that's where we see them, them, right? Or in the intervention setting. So we're going to talk about those connections between language and literacy really soon with you and some things to be careful of specifically when we're talking about bridging our lessons from oral and written language. So before we begin, we have a review from a listener, Reading Fox. And this review is called The D Word. At the public school in my area, they aren't allowed to use the D Word. This is so important. Thanks for sharing all the info. Well, Reading Fox, I think this was timely feedback because in episode 3.2, we were having a discussion about dyslexia awareness and how important it is to say dyslexia. We even have a whole episode about saying dyslexia and why it's so important uh, back in season two. So yes, we think it is just so important to call it what it is. And there's no need to really hide behind using that term. And we have evidence from the Department of Education at, at the national level that there's no reason not to use it. Unfortunately, we know that sometimes there is some problem with using the term dyslexia or calling it that specifically when we're in things like IEP eligibility meetings and so forth. And and we recognize that. However, we do go back to what the Department of Ed has officially told us. And that is so it's important that we do continue to use the D word. And we don't have to call it the D word. We can just say it, right? So thank you, Reading Fox. And if you 
enjoy this podcast. First of all, thank you. And uh, we'd love for you to subscribe to not only the podcast, but also to the email list so that you can get notified. So you'll get a little notification when Monday mornings roll around, not every Monday, every other Monday, and you'll get a new podcast episode. And then on the off weeks, you'll get notified that there is a new blog post that goes with each episode. And there is just so much goodness every single time that we don't want you to miss it. So that's why we so appreciate you subscribing. It means a great deal to us. And of course, if you're so inclined, we'd love to have you leave a review so that we can read it in a future episode. All right. So we're ready to dig in and discuss language skills and OG and just talk about what is the big deal. All right, Casey, take it away. <laughs> right. All right. So one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about language is because Emily and I are often saying that language is at the root of reading. And we really, we do know that language is really that vehicle for learning. If our students can't understand what we're saying or aren't making sense of that language, they aren't, they're going to have some hurdles when it comes to learning because everything that we do in education is connected to language, whether that is instruction in math and science or social studies, or even within our, of course, within our English language arts classes and especially in our interventions. So we really wanted to dive into what that means for our instruction within our Art and Gillingham, our structured literacy lessons. One of the things that, that researchers have agreed upon is that reading is a language-based skill and that the relationship between oral language and reading language or reading is reciprocal, meaning that they're influencing one another, um, but they're not the same. We, we've talked about this before. Oral language comes much more is natural where learning to read and write is not. And so because of that, we have to be very mindful and we have to offer our instruction and our own knowledge base at a high level in order to really assist students who are struggling with that reading acquisition. So we really do need to have, we need to understand that the oral language underpinnings of literacy. And so when we think about that, there are three major interactive components of language that sort of govern or set the rules for us when we are composing our language and when we're teaching. So the three, well, and we're just gonna cover these really briefly, but we're talking about form, content, and use. And form is the language form, which is gonna include our rules for combining sounds, that phonology, the structuring of words, that morphology, and then the ordering words and sentences, that syntax. And we've talked about each of those pieces um, in length in several of our other episodes. And, and we see those pieces often being brought into our structured literacy and Orton Gillingham lessons. Another piece uh, that we want to be mindful of is content, which is also known as semantics. And that is really talking about the meaning component of language. And yes, that's talking about individual words, but also the connection between words, sentences, topics, vocabulary, discourse, all of that, right? And then use, often you'll hear that referred to as pragmatics, and that's just involving that set of rules that's gonna dictate communication behavior in our language intentions, the reasons, how we're communicating and that discourse. And so we're gonna dig into what that looks like in our lessons, both in the oral language and in the written language for our reading components. 
Right. And I think it's important to note that as Casey was naming off the, the three major interactive components of language, that we recognize that the students that you work with that really may present as having dyslexia are going to struggle in these areas mm-hmm. and not just in when they're learning to read. It can happen in social situations as well. And at various stages, it can present as uh, a difficulty. As children get older and want to have more interactions with peers and you know they enter into puberty, this is where our kids sometimes struggle because conversations, the language might be moving so rapidly for them that they may have a hard time keeping up or following or processing what exactly is going on. And so I think that it's really, really important to note that uh, this isn't just something that's happening in that intervention lesson. We're, We're really discussing life skills for these kids that will cross over into so many different situations. And we want to help them in these areas of language so that not only can they become successful readers and writers, but also help them to be able to be good communicators with their peers, with adults. And it's just, I think, at the heart of it, really a life skill. What do you think, Casey? I absolutely agree. And we'll see this sort of breakdown for our students in language as they are maybe retelling a story or they're trying to pull out the important information or gather that enduring understanding or the main idea of a top of a topic that they're reading about, either through the language that they're choosing, perhaps they're not using a sophisticated language as needed, or maybe their sentence structures are incomplete or out of order. So I think having an understanding of those three forms is very beneficial for us educators so that we can really be observant of language that's used by our students and then find some strategies to help aid them in moving their learning forward. Absolutely. So what does this mean if we are discussing it within the confines of the structured literacy or or Gillingham intervention lesson? So some things that Uh, we want to keep in mind when we're in the planning phases. First of all, we want to be thinking very carefully about the differences and similarities between language and literacy. So as Casey was mentioning before, we're having these discussions about oral language uh, and both are forms of communication, but our oral language is going to play out much differently than in a formal literacy you know, with an open book in front of you situation. Things are rapidly changing when we're talking about language, whether it be in a conversation or when we have to listen to someone else. There are many nuances that take place. Just even being, you know, thinking about how children are able to respond appropriately to something like a question being asked. I've seen that really play out 
very differently for some of these kids that need the intervention and need that modeling and explicit teaching. So that's the first point, Casey, you want to yeah. talk about the next one there? Yeah. And, and we want to remember that, you know, there is a difference between that social discourse and the academic language that we're expecting students to use within the school setting or intervention settings. So while we may see that some of our students either struggle with those general conversations, we want to also be mindful of for those that are successful in those conversations, how are they in the development that's needed to comprehend language of instruction, right? And mm. so often include more sophisticated vocabulary, perhaps sentence structures they may not be used to, that higher understanding and interaction with the text. And, and so one of the things that we talk about how is that reading is not just our speech written down right? Written language is permanent. And Emily had said that, you know, that oral language is ever changing and, and, and it comes and goes, but that that written language is permanent. And so because of that, when we are working with our students in intervention and we go back and we reread text, this, is, this provides them with different opportunities to interact with the text. And I think that that part is really important for our kids in intervention. You may find that they're like, oh, I already read this. You're right. We did. And we're going to read it again now through a different lens. And, and this is a great opportunity to then on your second read or your third read with your students to look at it through that lens of language and pull in some of these form or content or use that you see your students having a hard time with. Absolutely. So we'll talk about some of those suggestions in a minute. We also want to recognize that when we are planning our intervention lessons. And I hear this is a common cry. It's, it's hard. It's hard to get it all in. There's so many pieces to our structured literacy or OG intervention lessons. And it's, you're trying to weave that in and you may have limited time. So we want to let you know that we do recognize that we feel that crunch sometimes too, yeah. depending on, you know, the setting that we're in. And I go into a school a couple of days a week and, you know, there's always that, that the time is of the essence, right? There's not a, a, a second to lose. And there's always the transitions that you have to be concerned about. So uh, we do understand that. Uh, but I think that if we can see in that there are points in the Orton-Gillingham lesson or structured literacy that you can actually weave in these language components really beautifully, even at the word level, it can be done. Even if you have something like a simple word list in front of you, uh, depending on whatever skill you may be teaching and and say, could you point to a word that may make you feel this way? Or pick out a word that you know would uh, be suitable for this situation. Always try to sort of like pose things in there and or ask them, why would you pick this word or that? So I think just finding those small pieces throughout the points in the lesson plan is going to be really, really valuable. But knowing that sometimes certain lessons can also lend themselves beautifully to 
uh, leading in things like grammar. So we'll we'll get into some of our suggestions now. But these are things that we want to make really practical for you, things to consider. And hopefully, if you have some suggestions, you can let us know as well. All right. So Casey, do you want to kick I, off here? Yeah, I'll kick us off. And I think one of the things for us to keep in mind when we're planning for intervention, and I know Emily and I've said this often, is you know, when people ask specific questions on what should I do about this? And we'll often say, well, it depends. And I think that also comes into play here when we're planning for our students and we're thinking about their use of language. Because what I may plan for one group or one student may differ for another group or student based on where they are in their language acquisition and their literacy acquisition. So keeping that in mind as well, we really want to have our whatever we're bringing in to address the needs of the learner in front of us. And so, you know, keeping in mind those questions of who is the learner that's in front of me and how must I teach these components to help them move their learning forward. So with that being said, we do have some tips or or things that Emily and I use or bridge to help us bridge language into our literacy lessons. And so we're just going to share a few of these with you today. So some of the things that we use, of course, within our structured literacy and Orton-Gillingham lessons is the use of modeling. We've talked often about modeling, model, 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 and that gradual release of responsibility. And then also matching those up to appropriate visuals to help our students um, have conversations about their work and also to provide that bridge to from oral language into that written language. Right, absolutely. The visuals are going to be particularly important, as you know, for people who are learning the English language as well. So we want to always provide that even if there are real photographs to offer those, I think can really be uh, powerful conversation builders for kids and be able to give strong examples as well. Sometimes for visuals, like, so for my students, they have a little morphology booklet that they are built, that they build with me. And we have conversations about those, you know, morphemes. And then they do a quick sketch of their keyword or that piece that's going to help aid in that retrieval of language and understanding what that morpheme is. So there's some really quick and easy ways that you can bring those visuals into your work without always having to find pictures and and print them and things like that. Absolutely. And I always find, yeah, just having that, that picture or sketch example of the morpheme really helps deepen their meaning and under their understanding and to be able to retrieve it later when they are when they see that picture or they remember making that sketch it's going to help in um, them recall and having them use it in an language setting right have them use it in that right. like always in that conversation with the students yeah yeah Casey I think that's an excellent point you know when we I may even do something as working with our letter tiles and, and chaining words and make a word. And I might, and I, a lot of times, okay, made that word and we read it, give that to me in a sentence. Let's put that right. into a sentence all the time. Just constantly just listening to see, are they 
able to generate, first of all, some kids need help with that, right? And if, and helping them even from that sentence point, helping them even expand it a little further. Yeah. Okay. Paying attention to the syntax and the use of that word within the sentence. Are they generating sentences that follow certain sentence structures? Are they always remaining just within simple sentence responses or can they expand on those? And then is their word order appropriate? Um, Oftentimes our kids who have dyslexia or may have other language-based learning differences, their sentence structure may be irregular. And that then shows me something that I need to make sure I'm embedding more of it within my lesson. Yeah. Casey, I find the sentence, sentence to be pretty short in length. And so we work a lot on using the five W's to help expand those out a bit further. And that helps so much. So yeah, definitely. I know we we're going off like with a, a lot of different ideas and we've only, we've only done the first day. <laughs> That's great. Okay. So the, the next one is posing questions. So we want to think about and I'll, I'll give an example of a book that I think that this is so perfect for. So we want to make sure that we are structuring our conversations by perhaps posing questions. And I say, when I do this um, scenario settings, that will open discussion, especially when we're talking about content area vocabulary. So when I think of this particular tip, I always go back to bringing words to life. So bringing words to life significantly goes into how to pose and frame questions to help children uh, develop better usage of these words with clarity and to be able to deepen their understanding of it. So like, for instance, when would it be appropriate to, or why is it not okay to? And using that word within that, and then and having the child think of a reply using that word in that sentence to really work on at the oral level the complete thought, and then as you gradually build more responsibility onto them, then you may be scribing for them what their response was and looking at that and making changes. And then, of course, the ultimate is to have them get to the written portion to be able to answer in a complete thought on a piece of paper. And that would be just a nice scaffold for posing questions. So starting with the oral and then moving further down into a written response. I love that. And then piggybacking on that, we can work with different sentence types. So perhaps as Emily was saying, we're posing questions, maybe you have a sentence stem to aid in Mm. response, either at the oral level or at the written level. Another thing that we can do is we can help students expand on sentences orally or in written form, even within our use of those controlled text or decodable sentences. So again, we read lots of different, we read, we read multiple times for different purposes. So I, I would perhaps not do this on the first day that I'm working with my control text, but maybe on the second time, I would have the student read that decodable sentence. It could be something like, you know, Tim ran up the hill and I could ask my students then to expand on that orally with because, and see what they can come up with. Just getting them to work with sentence structures, different types of sentences. We could 
work on those question marks and exclamation points, commas, things like that. All of those develop that prosody, but are also going to be expanding their form of that sentence, their usage of the sentence. And in some ways, if we pull that into the academic language and perhaps we're on a content focused sentence where we're having them expand, we're really building that background knowledge. So there's a lot of different ways that you can embed your work with different sentence types within your Orton-Gillingham structured literacy lessons. And I think this is a great way to try and like get them a little bit out of their comfort level Mm -hmm. but also building their creative thinking. So we can get kind of silly here. Tim ran up the hill because a yellow jacket was chasing him or something like that, or to meet his friends, the tiger, something like that. Like you can get really creative and silly with expanding needs, but it also just, I think helps children understand the language. We can get playful with it. We can be creative. And so often when we have children in the right in I mean in a writing session, they don't want to <laughs> expand because you know, they feel a little, little limited limited by their abilities. Um, maybe with their they're struggling with encoding, not wanting to really expand on their thoughts. So by freeing it up in these simple decodable sentences, just giving them, I think, just a, a nice opportunity to first talk about it orally and then get it down on paper. So um, I just, I think it's a great way to, once again, get them out of their little comfort zone, but in a, in, in an appropriate way that bridge, helps them bridge, gets them expanding a little bit more. And the more you do this, you'll find they'll want to do it and they'll want to expand and they'll initiate. Okay. The next one on our list is to embed grammar into controlled text. And so we can just, uh, if you have a, a controlled text or passage in front of you and having students you know, perhaps identify or color code, those are some examples right there. But, you know, even with looking how at certain suffixes or in uh, how that can really dictate the part of speech. I think that is just so, so helpful. Talking about, you know, just with a student the other day, how when we were adding, went from a word like, I don't know, hair to hairy or sand to sandy, we went from a noun to by adding that suffix, why we have an adjectival suffix there. Mm -hmm. And so just constantly embedding that conversation in there and having them box that base words or, or circle or underline that suffix and, and ask them, so why, you know, why is that suffix there? And, and what is it describing? So something that's sandy, a place with a lot of sand, or when you have, you know, your, when your feet get sandy, you know, just any kind of language we can build in that way. Yep. And like color coding of your grammar pieces, those are all things that you can weave into your lessons and they don't take a ton of time or little, you know, we, we want to. We know how hard it is to get everything in. So what are those small pieces of language that you can bring in that are going to enhance your students' knowledge and work with 
grammar in, in that context. Another thing that we can do, um, and I'll do this sometimes within my lessons when I feel that it is really important is we creating semantic webs. And this is especially helpful when we're working with multiple meaning words. And you know, from here, you can have the students look at that phonology, look at those sounds, how is it spelled? If there's any um, morphology pieces and then how is it used? So I do this really early on when I'm working with early decoding strategies, like those Anglo-Saxon words have tons of multiple meaning words. So even like the word dip, okay? That's mm -hmm. one that students can access really easily, but think of all the different ways that you can use the word dip. You know, we have salsa dip. You can dip someone when you're dancing, right? And um, you can take a dip into the pool. There's just so many ways that they can use that. And so just getting them to expand their vocabulary knowledge through semantic webs is really powerful. Yes, I, I so agree with that. You know, I say maybe about seven or eight years ago, I went through radio training with Dr. Orkin, Dr. Melissa Orkin, and she is so wonderful. It was a Tufts. And, you know, with Ravo, they love getting into multiple meaning words. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a portion of the lesson. And just using, thinking of all of the different meanings of like the word back. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a perfect example in the, the word you just used. Dip. So uh, anytime we can just bring in that words have multiple meanings, I think it's just going to deepen that lesson just a little bit more and really, really get more bang for your buck there for sure. Absolutely. And when we have those webs, having them either sketch or have uh, visuals once again is really going to help. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I know it's so funny with dip. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, dip. Like when you dance, you might dip somebody. Many. <laughs> I know. Okay. And the next one we have is to monitor and clarify understanding. And so it is a really good example. So when I was reading a decodable book, this was from uh, High New Publishers. I, I use them quite a bit. And character was given a $5 bill at the end of the story and said, here's a five. Ha go have some fun on Maine. And so we had to have that discussion, like, does that literally mean have some fun on me? Or what does that mean? It's an expression. And this is one of those things that, you know, where there's like this intersection between the oral language and what really happens in, uh, in a book and the different meanings that expressions can have. So that's just a perfect example that we want to not ever take for granted that there are going to be little nuggets in books or passages that there may be some clarification needed. Yeah. It's one of those reasons why it's helpful to read the book ahead of time and know kind of yes. pull out those areas of language that you foresee your students either struggling with or that you want to really highlight and bring their awareness to so that you're expanding that language. So another one, and this kind of goes along with, you know, using those visuals, but is creating shades of meaning activities where, you know, you are having 
two words and you put them on a continuum and they can be antonyms, right? Happy and sad. And then from there, your students would put different words on the continuum based on where they might go. So sad, maybe devastated, right? And elated. <laughs> Having them start to work with more words than just their basic vocabulary. So those shades of meaning activities are really powerful. And for my older students in particular, I have, we create notebooks of these and then I have them pull those out when we are writing. And their challenge then is to use those words either in their oral language or in their written language. And so they, when they're going back in and they're revising or they're editing and they're, they're going in and they're pulling out some more academic language, they can really use those shades of meaning activities. I try to have whatever I'm embedding or bringing into our lessons be a tool that they can use throughout all of our different lessons, especially when it comes to language. I think language skills cross over throughout our lessons. And so if there's something that you're constantly building, whether that's you know your semantic webs or your shades of meaning activities or your graphic organizers, they become tools that, they're, that they come back to over and over again as we're building that literacy awareness of language. And I love that you are embedding that, yes, you can try this out in a conversation with someone else, try using that word, right? Because our kids, they, they, need the, they need that coaching to know how to you know, carry on and maybe a little more, or maybe use some of those higher level vocabulary words, right? Okay. So, and I'm sure they're really proud when they do use them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then the next one we are talking about is um, consider having some deconstructed sentences uh, and, or sentence scrambles where children have to rearrange perhaps the words so that they make sense to make a complete thought. And so, sure, there may be words that can be rearranged a little bit here and there, but I think that this is an important activity because, first of all, it's not only practicing, you know, language and syntax, but it's also a great re-reading exercise because whenever I do something like this with my students, they, I, I have them keep rereading those words out loud until they're arranged into something that can make sense. So deconstructing the sentences or putting them back together uh, mm -hmm. is actually, I think, a really helpful fluency activity as well. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And then being very mindful of what graphic organizers we're using, whether we're using graphic organizers for story elements and helping our students really have that language for retelling. I don't know about you, Emily, but often retelling is very hard for some of my students, particularly those that have some deficits in the oral language components or just in that usage piece. So having some graphic organizers to help us with those retelling um, structure is beneficial. And then to kind of bridge that into when I'm working with my older students, working with summarizing strategies, because that looks a little bit different as students move up the grades and, and helping them know how to pull out the important information, create a summary, 
you know, whether, and then how then to expand on that and work with the annotations and tabbing and organizing their thoughts and things like that. So thinking about language, not just in the oral language component, but what does that mean for our students as they're moving up the grades? They need to take that and put that into written language where others can understand their thought. Right. And I find that one of the biggest things with the retelling is sometimes kids really struggle with remembering just simple character names and what their roles were. And sometimes we just have to like really break that part down first. And once we are able to establish you know, who the main characters are and what the problem is and so forth, then they continue on. But they really, I think it's initially struggle with just needing that, <laughs> that little memory trigger with like so who's the main character here and what is it that what did they want so having those graphic organizers is just really really helpful for that retelling portion and you can do you know simple graphic organizers with decodable text uh, if that is something that you feel like all right this is this is a valuable language activity for this student at this time then why not because you're using text that they can access and read successfully, but you're also giving them valuable language and that's going to aid their comprehension. Okay? Retelling is an, a very important exercise. Absolutely. And, and I'm so glad you brought the decodable text because I was, I was going to jump in and say that as well. Yeah, you don't right. have to wait. And I think if we have, perhaps if you have, parts of your lesson where you engage in a read aloud, or if you are having the student use that graphic organizer when they are decoding and the parents want to know, what can I do at home to help? You can have them ask those same questions, coach those parents so that when they're doing a read aloud with their child, they can ask, hey, who's the main character? What's the problem? What's happening? And get the students to start to engage in that oral retelling with their family members as well. Right. And practicing with text that they can read fluency and with fluently and with accuracy mm -hmm. first and then it's just only going to assist them further when they get into non-controlled text yeah okay so we gave you quite a list here <laughs> just to quickly so we had use of modeling and visuals posing questions to open discussion um, working with different sentence types embed embedding grammar using semantic webs, monitoring, clarifying understanding, and using shades of meaning activities, deconstructing sentences, using graphic organizers. So all of these things we feel will be not only valuable language building activities, but are things that we are realistic and can be used within your intervention lessons. And really just it sometimes it might be just weaving in like a few little extra things here and there with an existing word list, with an existing page of sentences or a passage or a decodable. So I think it takes just a little more forethought and looking at where those opportunities are. Yeah. And I would, I would recommend, you know, just kind of reflecting, taking some time to reflect mm -hmm. on where, how are you currently using language within your lessons? And then 
if perhaps there are some strategies or ways in which you can enhance your use of language within your lessons. Right. I mean, even starting with something as simple as, as you listen to this list, perhaps starting with just some questioning, some different types of questioning, I think is, is a great place to begin. So if you're wondering, oh, I don't really do these things. It might be a good starting point. All right. So we are getting close to wrapping up. But before we do, we did receive a question from the same person who left our um, feedback on, on our podcast, which we are so thankful for from Reading Fox. And this person had a question about letter identification. And so we really felt that this would be something that would be beneficial if we were to address it in a future episode. So uh, because we felt it may have lend itself to the conversation of working memory, word retrieval, things like that. So we're going to get into that in a future episode, but we did want to recognize that we did see the question and that we will address it. So we thank you Reading Fox for um, calling that to our attention. And we'll definitely uh, look forward to a future episode on that topic. All right, Casey, how can our amazing listeners keep in touch with us? Right. Well, as Emily said previously, we really love to get feedback about the podcast. So if you like the podcast, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and get you'll get those emails notifying you about new episodes and blog posts that correspond with our episodes. So go ahead and hit subscribe and hit a review for us. And then if you want to look, find Emily and I, you can find both of us on our uh, websites. Mine is the dyslexiaclassroom.com and you'll see I have resources and also memberships available uh, to people that want to learn a little bit more with me and Emily. Yes. And I am the literacynest.com and I have also have some memberships on on there that you may be interested in. So Casey and I really have just a wealth of content and we <laughs> so appreciate your support of our um, of all the content that we offer on our websites and of course on togetherinliteracy.com. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.